Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey into Oratory. I'm your host, Dan Riley. I read a story a long time back that made me stop and wonder. I can still recall it today, or at least my version of it. It was regarding a successful business executive in Midtown Manhattan who died suddenly in his office. Rather than have his personal belongings sent home in boxes, his eldest son requested that he be permitted to collect them from the father's office. Among the many personal items, there were some old books with passages highlighted. These were not business books, far from it. Of the ones the son found most interesting were the Autobiography of a Yogi by Yogananda, Return of the Rag Picker by Ogmandino, and a book of poems by William Blake. Why were these books here and not at home, his son thought. There was an envelope full of old pictures, some of him and his siblings when they were very young, but mostly of events from his father's childhood and his old neighborhood in rural New Hampshire. The oldest photos were of his grandparents and what the son assumed were relatives from the old country. But what he found most curious was in the bottom desk drawer, a fishing line with an old but intact bobber, sinker, and hook. He surmised this must have been his dad's favorite from his youth. The son sat at his father's desk, looking at this artifact for quite some time. His dad had been the executive vice president of a prestigious accounting firm, just 18 months shy of retirement. He received an athletic scholarship to play baseball in college, and in his late 20s, he earned his master's degree in finance. It was the quintessential American story. He married his college sweetheart and joined the firm for which he spent the next 35 years. Along the way, he joined many professional and civic organizations. He relocated several times while accepting promotions with the firm. And finally, about five years before he died, he received the coveted EVP job at the corporate headquarters. The family bought a beautiful home out on Long Island, and with their summer home up at Lake Winnipesaukee, they had arrived, or so it seemed. Life was a whirlwind, the financial struggles just out of college, the joy of family life with the three children that came along so quickly, the worries about making ends meet, the college funds to be set up, years and years of long hours that helped win promotion after promotion, the constant moving from one big city to another, kids having to adjust to school after school. But before it could all register in his mind, the kids were out of college and moved away with families of their own. It was just him and his wife. It all happened so fast. Then, suddenly, a massive coronary, and that was it. In a bat of an eye, it was over. As he gathered his personal effects, the books reminded the son of a father he seldom experienced, but nevertheless knew. And that old fishing stuff, what was it doing in his father's office? Thoughts like hailstones began bombarding the young man. During the many moves the family made, did his dad come across that old relic while packing? Did he want it with him all the time, not in some cold, sterile attic? Had he been carrying his precious youth with him from city to city all those years? Did he pursue the career he did for himself or for those around him? Just prior to high-stress meetings or speeches, did he go to that bottom drawer and grab his feeble fishing tackle for security? Or was he just yearning to go back? Back to a time when he felt ecstatically alive, the summer sun burning until he was blind with delight. He and his buddies living in a shining new world along the river with its endless days, fishing and skipping stones. Everything made sense. Was that living to him? 
letting time go lightly, no thought of yesterday or tomorrow. Somehow did all his successes and accomplishments pale in comparison to living among the river and trees on the mighty Merrimack? Was it that old fishing outfit more than anything else that represented the good life for him? Upon the son's return to the family home on Long Island, he and his mom sat at the kitchen table and one more time they went through his dad's belongings. She was able to answer a few of his questions, but not enough. His mom, now holding that old fishing outfit, wondering when and why it was taken from the garage and placed in that bottom desk drawer. Both mother and son sat quietly and wondered, what was he like as a little boy, a teenager? Did he fulfill all his dreams? any of his dreams. Now is his mom's turn to conjure images and try to understand why her husband would reach down and grab that fishing outfit. When was the last time? Could it have been his last day? The son asked his mom if he could take three of his dad's books. Of course, she said, as he headed back home. I've told, used, and recreated that story so many times it probably doesn't even resemble the original one I read decades ago. But because it moved me, I can tell it with some authenticity. In that short story, we find many universal themes. The fleeting nature of life, values, dynamics in relationships, nostalgia, and the role our childhoods play in each of our lives are just but a few. If I were to take each of those topics one by one and inform you what the prevailing consensus analysis is from the leading experts in the respective fields, you'd be dizzy by now. We humans are wired for stories. We learn best from stories. Stories fill in the gaps that data alone create. Data only provides facts, not meaning. Stories give facts their meaning. I remember a time way back in my own history working for a boss that I never really got to know. At the time, I was managing a grocery store and he was the district manager. After approximately two years of working for him, he called me to his office one day to inform me I was being transferred. That was not a big deal. It was typical. It was routine. Leaving his office, however, I still remember the odd thought I had. I've worked for this guy for two years and I don't know him any better today than I did the first day I met him. I went on to think, how sad, two years, my God, two years with this guy. At that time, it didn't dawn on me what a poor business practice this was. If he had just got to know me, given me his leadership, how much more effective could I have become? After that experience, I adopted the philosophical tenant that leaders not only need to help people with their jobs, they need to help them with their lives. Don't misunderstand me. This was a decent man. He was a kind man. He was a pleasant man and all those things. But he tried so hard to hide his humanity rather than to display it. Almost 200 years ago, Emerson wrote, the common experience is that the man fits himself as well as he can to the customary details of that work or trade he falls into, intends it as a dog turns a spit. Then he is part of the machine he moves. The man is lost. Until he can manage to communicate himself to others in his full stature and proportion, he does not yet find his vocation. Emerson had described my boss perfectly. 
probably many bosses. One of the characteristics that distinguished my former supervisor was that he never told a story. Lots of business jargon. The charts and graphs, often resplendent, could make your head spin, but no stories. In fact, stories were anathema to many business people back then, as they still are in many quarters today. With our culture hurtling at a dizzying speed into technological mayhem and our universe of employers being condensed to a small number of national behemoths, we are finding the human presence seeping out of the workplace. And what remains of humanity is often sterile, robotic, and uninspiring. A just-the-facts-ma'am approach has invaded the entire workforce. Oh, this has been profitable and has simplified management, to be sure. But it will be short-lived. The human side of enterprise can only be suppressed for so long. This current trend is unsustainable. The pendulum has swung too far. We are not cyborgs or automatons. After a person's basic needs are satisfied, all other needs are psychological. Humans crave the attention of one another. They want to feel important, powerful, and alive. Since we first started communicating through stories on cave walls 30,000 years ago, stories have become the threads that weave us together. This secular trend into a hyper-high-tech lifestyle is going to abate. No doubt the world has changed. Technology will be with us forever. But the human side of our enterprise will reemerge. It must. Somewhere back in 2007 or 8, Annette Simons wrote a book titled, Whoever Tells the Best Story Wins. She might have been a little ahead of her time, but I think she was right. For my part, that's all there is. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, throw off those bow lines. We're on the move now.